Thank you. Thank you, Ari. I appreciate that. We reciprocate that. We, we love you guys. We love this house. And I love that we can come and, and, and do this and, and spend time together. Do you want to share anything before I start? Sure. On the way here, I was praying as I... Um... Hey, can you turn those tunes off me for me, please, Dan? Thanks. They'll throw me off. I, I'm a one-track mind kind of guy. I'll be, I'll, I'll be in the tunes. I'll start drumming. It'll get weird. Um, on the way here, I was praying and, um, in the car, as I like to do before any service, and I was just praying out loud and just praying, and I was kind of just asking God uh, the deep things for tonight, asking Him to give us wisdom, to lead us, to guide us. And I, I, when it comes to the Scripture, I, I like to get deep, and I like to be as deep as I can go. And as I was praying, I sort of finished my prayer, and, and Jess, my wife, yelled out, and Lord, let us have fun. And I was like, hey, 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 this is my prayer. This is my prayer. I'm praying for things if you'd like to pray. But the, the challenge with that for me and, and where I get, my wife always gets up me about it, is that I, when it comes to Scripture, there is this heaviness for me. There is this weightiness. There is this urgency that we have. And I feel that there is a, a time for us as a people to, to wake up as the church, to come alive. That there is a time right now like there has been at points in history, and I believe we're in one of those points where there is a weightiness. And it's not that I don't want to have fun. It's not that I don't want to joke around. If you know me, you know that I like to have a joke and, a, and, a, and, and, and have fun. But there's something about this that is urgent. There is something about the scriptures and the time we're in right now as a church that is absolutely urgent. That as a people, we need to get this. We need to hear what God is doing for this city, for this nation, for the nations, but for us individually and what our part is to play in this city, in this nation and in the nations. I think that there's two things that I, I want to try and break tonight if I can. There's been a big call over this city for a, a renewal and a revival to come to the Gold Coast and for a renewal and a revival to come to Australia. Who's heard somewhat of that from whether it's the prophecy from smith or or other prophecies that have come so often and you know, i think there's two issues with what's taking place in the church i'm going to speak about the church of the gold coast because we are the church of the gold coast there's three houses represented here tonight and we are the church we're not individual churches we are the church right the ecclesia called by god as a people in a region to bring about his kingdom but there's two things that i see that are an issue that i think we need to break and the first one is this for so long we have looked to a particular person or a particular tribe or house on the Gold Coast to usher the move of God. We have looked to a, a particular person or a particular people to bring it, the next move. Who's going to bring the next thing? Who is going to be, be the next big church in the city? Who's going to bring the next cool idea of how we do this? What's the next? We're always looking for the person to bring the next thing. And the other thing that I think we do in that as well is that we always look to be a part of the move of God, not to be a catalyst in the move of God. As individuals, we want to join the church that's, that's growing the quickest, that's moving in the mightiest signs. We, we church hop in this city because we're looking to be a part of the move. We're not looking to be a catalyst in the move. Every one of us in this room, and I mean this sincerely, every one of us in this room has an important part to play in the church of the Gold Coast. Not as a member, not as a member, but as a leader in the church on the Gold Coast. Every one of us in this room are leaders in our own right. 
in our own spheres, we are the leader, the pastor, if we will, of our families, of our, of our circles of friends, of our workspaces. We lead every one of us. So when we come through that door, we're not coming through that door to sit in a seat and be fed. We're coming through that door to be an active part and catalyst in the glory of God here on the Gold Coast and in this city, in this nation. Every one of us. And what I hope to do tonight, if you would let me, is break down some of what's going to, uh, what Scripture says for some of the community guys. A lot of this you will have heard before because there's something stirring that I think this Scripture is holding to and something in this that we have to take apart. We have to understand so that when God moves, we aren't watching it, we're a part of it. Because that's key for all of us. Because I can't do what Ario can do. I can't do what Josh can do. I can't do what Dan can do. I can't do what you guys can do. And you can't do what I can do. That's the beauty of the body. Is that we get to operate in who God has made us to be. To release who he is to those around us. If you've got a Bible with me, go to 1 Peter. Chapter 2. One Peter two verse one. I want to read this whole portion of scripture from one to twelve, and I want to break it down into two sections. One Peter two, one to twelve. So put away all malice and all deceit and and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am lying in, laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your con conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may not see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You are chosen and precious. Do you notice that he calls us as a people chosen and precious? And then he calls the cornerstone chosen and precious. What Christ came and did was because he saw you as chosen and precious before you could even understand who you were. As a people, we have been chosen and made precious by Him, by the blood of Christ. 
That's the same way the Father sees the Son. It's the same way the Father sees you and I. Chosen and precious. There's two things that Peter does in this scripture. There's two things that he breaks down that are important to understand. I think he makes a promise. And then he makes a declaration. He makes a promise. And he makes a declaration. In that first part of the verse, he says, Put away all malice and all deceit. Hypocrisy and envy and slander. He's setting us up to succeed in the kingdom. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I don't have time to break down what it means to grow up into salvation, but if you want to go and do a study, look at the tenses of salvation, past, present and future tenses of salvation. That word salvation means sozo. But what he's saying is that we have to take the time. We have to take the time to understand that when we long for the pure spiritual milk of the kingdom, we're longing for the very essence of Christ. When we long for that, that pure spiritual milk of the kingdom. But he says something really interesting. He says, if you have indeed tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He's not asking a question. And he's not prefacing the next sentence. He's speaking about what he just said. He said, before he says, if indeed you taste that the Lord is good, he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do you know what it looks like when you taste and see that the Lord is good? It looks like spiritual maturity. When you actually taste and see that the Lord is good, it's not a gooey feeling inside that makes us feel good. It's not just somebody falling over. It's not a healing. It's pure spiritual maturity that reveals the heart of the Father. So when I look around and I see the church and, and, and people are screaming out and saying, we, we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. It's so amazing. Yet we continue to see infancy. We're not seeing the reality of knowing Christ himself. That when we actually see Christ, when we actually get a glimpse of Yahweh, the great King, when we actually get a glimpse of the holiness of the one who went and hung on that cross, when we get a glimpse, we don't want to stay in our old self anymore. We don't want to be immature anymore. That cry out, Abba, Father, is not just a cry of belonging. It's a cry of, Lord, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to be mature in you once again. When we see the heart of the Father, when we see Christ, the reality we taste and we see that He's good, everything else tastes nasty. Everything else tastes terrible. So how do I know that I'm saved? Because everything in me wants to be like Him. Do you do it all the time? Not a chance. But everything in me wants to mature in Christ because that's what it means to see Christ and know that He is good, to taste Him. To understand those, those feelings that we have to touch, see, hear, smell, taste. To actually know that He is there. To know that I can sense Him in my presence is because my, the little child in me starts to grow up. The things that I enjoyed once before, I don't want to do anymore. Because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Paul writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. And it's, in my opinion, it's one of the most informative equipping books in the New Testament. Right? He, he 
says a lot of incredible things and, and leads people to, into how to walk in love, how to treat our spouses and children, how to treat each other in different church tribes, how to wear the full armor of God, and of course the spiritual gifts, and how the fivefold unfolds. Right, Paul writes the how-to of Christian living to the church in Ephesus. And what we see in Revelation 2 is that the church in Ephesus did it extraordinarily. They were very good at living out of love. They were very good at living out of the fivefold gifts. They were very good at doing everything Paul trained and equipped them in. In Revelations 2.1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, church in Ephesus, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bear up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Well done, church in Ephesus. I know that you have done all this amazing stuff. Everything Paul told you to do and charged you with, you have completed. Well done. But then you have to read the next line, and it says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. That love was Christ. The love that brought the church of Ephesus to salvation was Christ. And then Paul comes along, rightly so, and he teaches them how to live in love, how to operate in the gifts, how to move in the churches, and they forget the very reason that they were there. See, we can come along to these church buildings, we can plan a church, we can lead a church, we can guide people all the days of our lives, we can go on a mission trip, we can do worship service after worship service, we can feed the poor. But if we lose our first love, look what Jesus says. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove, will remove your lampstand from its place. He gives the most sobering challenge to the church in Ephesus. He says, if you don't do this, I will take all that I've given from you. Is he talking about salvation? No. What does the lampstand do? It, it projects the light. He's saying, I will take what I've given from you. What he gives to the church in Ephesus is to be a light to the nations. And he says, if you do not do as I've asked you to do, I will take it from you. What have you asked us to do, O Lord? Remember your first love. Come back to me. Church of the Gold Coast, come back to me. Stop. Stop trying to be the biggest. Stop trying to be the best. Stop trying to have the most stuff. Stop trying to project the, the right doctrine, the right theology above everything else. Stop trying to do all these things. Come back and get on your knees before me. And I will show you the right doctrine. I will show you the right theology. I will reveal my kingdom to you. And when you're in me, I will reveal it to those around you. See, if every one of us in this room, every one of us really understood and really went back to our first love, the church on the Gold Coast from just us here would be on fire. There's enough of us. If we really, truly grasp the reality of coming back and saying, Lord, I'm strumming this guitar for you. Lord, I'm singing this song for you. God, I'm going to go and love on that guy at church that I don't like talking to for you. Because that's what I'm called to do. I'm not called to be a church goer. 
a participant, a receiver in the things you have for me. I am called to come and be a catalyst in your kingdom because you are who you said you are, the great king. There's a great saying, I love it. It's, I am because the great I am says I am. I show up because God has asked me to show up. And I pray that I never ever get lost in the ministry. I pray that I never ever get lost in preaching before people. That I never lose sight of why I'm here. Because why I'm here is my first love. That first day I got saved when I really saw Christ, I tasted and I saw that He was good. That's why I do what I do. The lights, the camera, preaching in front of people, getting to travel the world, getting to go to the streets and feed people, getting to do whatever it is you do is good. Please hear me. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but they're wrong if it's no longer about your first love. That's what he says to the church in Ephesus. I will take the lampstand I've given you that shines your light if you don't repent and come back to me. I think we are in a time right now where that is happening. Leaders, worship leaders, ministers, they're losing their lampstands. They're losing their mantles. They're losing their ministries. They're losing their ability. And God is giving it to the little guys. The guys who have faithfully been on their knees. The guys who have faithfully come back to their first love. Why? Because they didn't repent and come back. Are they going to heaven? Absolutely. Does God love them? Absolutely. Can they still repent? Absolutely. But the shake-up we're seeing in the church right now in this day and age is because they wouldn't return to their first love. Church, I urge you, whatever it is, come back to your first love. Not to me. Not to Ario, not to Justin. Come before the Lord and say, God, whatever it is, reveal it to me. Change my heart like David. God, search my heart for what's not of, of you in me. The promise that Peter declares in this verse is a cornerstone. The risen Christ Who in this room is saved, has given their life to Christ? Let's just put a hand up. If you haven't, it's okay, I'm not going to pick on you, I promise. But just quickly show of hands. Every one of you with your hand up, every one of you, has the risen Christ in you. How do we know that? Because the Bible says, Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, may I, may, in the way that I am with you and you are with me, may they be in me and I in them. So every one of us, the promise that is given by Christ on the cross is that we have the risen Christ living in us and flowing through us. That when we step into the promises of Christ, He's saying, I won't leave you or forsake you. Why? Because I'm in you and I will always be with you because I am a part of you as you are now a part of me. In the waters of baptism, in the spiritual, you die with Christ and you rise again with Him in you and you in Him. That's the simplicity of the gospel. That in the beginning we were created in the garden. The gospel starts in the garden. As John says, the word was in the beginning. In the beginning we were given the foundations of a relationship with the Father. And we lose it through sin. But Christ regains it through the cross. The whole gospel is about the Father's relationship with the sons and daughters. And what happens in the church is that we forget that relationship, we forgo the relationship we have with the Father because we forget about Him in the journey. But Peter makes a promise and he says the capstone or the cornerstone has been placed 
Do not reject it. He's saying if you follow after the cornerstone, all will be granted through him, through that. That's the promise that he makes. Remember your first love. If you're a note taker, just write that. That's all you have to write after my sermon today. Just write that. Remember your first love. That'll be enough. If you get that, we'll do all right. But he also makes a declaration. And I think it's important to understand the promise that Christ is the cornerstone so that when we get empowered by the declaration, we never forget why we're doing what we're doing. In 1 Peter, he says, as you come to him, 1 Peter 2, 4 to 5, if you're still there. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look at how he starts that part. As you come to him. As you come to him. You see, we have been caught in this age and in ages before us, and I'm sure ages to come, but what we're addressing now is where we are right now. We have been caught in a consumeristic mentality. My job, come through the doors, sit on the chair. Leader's job, give me what I need. And it's not just here. When we go into a restaurant, what do we do? Sit down, wait, they'll come to us. And if we have to go to a cafe on the Gold Coast where you have to go to the counter, you're not stoked about it. Like, no, no, no. I'm paying to come, sit in my chair, bring me my food. I don't want to go to the counter. I'm not that guy. Right? So we, we have learned a culture of coming. Come and give me what I need. Come and, and, and let me, Lord, just take what I need because my life is hard. My week is difficult. We get to a position where we, we're sitting and we're going, Lord, I need a word. I'm feeling down. Give me something. Give me a pick-me-up, God. Give me the, the hit that I need to get through. But when we start looking through the Scriptures, especially in the New Testament, just about all of the, of the fathers of the faith, they knew one thing. Come to me. Come to me. Draw to me and I will draw unto you, James. Right? Come to me first, my son. Show me the faith in your heart. And I'll pour out on you. Because what happens is as a people, we get a bit lazy. We get a bit entitled and we stand. We say, Lord, don't you understand where I'm at? Didn't you see what just happened to me? Didn't you understand where I was? Yes, son, I was with you. Yes, I was in you. I saw it. I felt it. I heard it. But Lord, give me something. I will come. Come to me. Come just a little bit closer and I'll give you more. He opens it to say, as you come to him, you're a living stone, but you've been rejected by men. Can I just poke the elephant in the room? This life is hard. It's hard out there. There's pain, suffering, deceit, backstabbing. It's all through Scripture. Christ prophesies it again and again and again. We see it here that we've become stones rejected by men. The culture that we live in, the, the twisted nature of which is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get harder. That's why we have to get closer to the Father. Because the noise out there is going to get louder. And God is going to speak quieter. He's clear through Scripture. We've been rejected by men. 
But in the sight of God, we are chosen and precious people. In the sight of God, every one of us is chosen and precious. When we wake up in the morning and we're struggling with, with the way we look, and we're struggling with the way we think, God has called us chosen and precious people. And I love that Peter relates the fact that, guess what? He also calls Jesus, the cornerstone, chosen and precious. We stand as a people chosen and precious. We stand as the ones God has called us to be. The voice that's in our head that tells us we're something we're not means that, that we're not hearing the voice of God that says you are chosen and precious people. But he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To be a holy priesthood. You that are living stones. We're not dead. We're not rolling stones. Dames? Give us a yes. Yeah. Little rock and roll joke for dames. Toss it in. We're not dead, rolling not alive stones. We are living stones. This verse says. I just want to sidetrack for a second. In Psalms 24, it says this. Psalms 24, 7. There's a verse that says, which most of you will know. It says, lift up your heads, O gates. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come. The word gate there is a prophetic symbolism of authority. Right? A gate lets things in and out. It allows things to flow through. If the gate's closed, you can't come in. If the gate's open, you can come through. That's why Jesus in John, he refers himself as a gate that allows the, the presence of the Father to come. Right? He says, I'm the authority that allows you in. But he says, lift up your heads, O gates, because he's calling us the authority in the house. As a people, we carry the authority of Christ. O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. When he's saying in this verse, lift up your heads, O gates, he's speaking to us as the church. It's our job to be the entrance place for Christ to come in. That the King of glory, the reason the King of glory isn't moving in our midst is because we, the church, haven't lifted up our heads to allow the authority to flow. The word ecclesia, Rather, the word we get church from in the three or four times it's used in the New Testament. The word ecclesia is a Greek word. And the way they understood it in the Greek culture was that they would go into a city and the, 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 the politicians or those who made the rules, they would call an ecclesia when there needed to be a ruling on something. So they would bring two or more people together. And those two or more people carried the authority to, to change what was taking place in the city. Two or more. That was an ecclesia. What we now call the church, this right here, is that we have become in this city an ecclesia as a group of people who carry the authority of Christ to make rulings and declarations in a city to change the way this city is shaped. So when he says, lift up your heads, O gates, he's saying, don't you understand the authority church you have been given to shift a nation, to shift a city? During prayer, we, we, yeah, so it was brutal to, to hear. But during prayer, Priscilla was sharing that the, the, the culture, and 
maybe I knew it and, and chose not to hear it or I didn't know, but the, the culture in our schools right now with, with suicide is, is intense. Among them were saying like preppies, like little kids talking about anxiety and depression. That's a spiritual battle. Do you understand that? It's a spiritual battle. No politician is going to get in a room and fix that issue. But then who does it fall on? I'll tell you who it falls on. Us, O gates. Lift up your head, O gates, and let the King of glory come in. That's what our job is as the church. I want to urge you tonight, if I can get one thing away, your job is not to come and sit in a chair and enjoy good music and get a word from Ario, please help me through my week. My job is to come and to be a priest in the place and reveal the kingdom of God to those around us. Why? Because Ario sees it different to me. So when he reveals what he sees and I reveal what I see, both of us see more of God. When you come and say, I just got to come and get a fill up and I'll go back out. We're not lifting our heads to understand the authority that we carry to break the strongholds and the change in our city or our nation. Right here in this room, we can break the stronghold of suicide in this nation. With what? With understanding what our role as the ecclesia, two or more gathered as a ruling class people to make a, a, a call in a city. That's what we get to do. That when we stand and declare over a city, not with some hope that we just start declaring willy-nilly because there's spiritual principles to the battles we face. But when you've been given an authority in a city to come like we have as leaders of, of houses to come and stand together, then we come as a chosen royal people, a priesthood to come and to bring our sacrifices to God to say, Lord, we want to change the kids in our city. We want to change the culture in our city. We want to break the strong holds of the enemy why because your kingdom will come that's our job when we understand as a people that we are empowered as the church that we are catalysts not partakers we are catalysts in the church Every one of us operating in our sphere of influence with the authority that God has given us, we begin to become holy priesthoods. How long do I go to? Just go. Hey, is everyone okay? I've, I've got like five more minutes. Ten. We'll go seven and I'll meet you halfway. There's a theologian called Alexander Schumann and he says this. He says, the first... The basic definition of a man, speaking about mankind, not men, mankind, is that he is the priest. He stands in the center of the world and unifies it in his act of blessing God, of both receiving the world from God and offering it to God. The first and basic definition of a man is that he is the priest. He stands in the center of the world and unifies it in his act of blessing God, of both receiving the world from God and offering it to God. What we did tonight by coming in and singing, Holy are you, O God, is that we are coming in and giving him all that we have. And in turn, he gives us all that we need to go and do as he's asked us to do. The community guys have heard this a lot, but it's, it's the analogy that I... I find works really incredibly in this. My job 
with my wife is not to determine how she is supposed to love me. When it's her birthday or I, I want to buy her a gift, the way I buy my wife a gift is not with the gift that I'm going to get in mind. Right? I don't go out and buy her a nice lovely watch thinking that I'd like a PlayStation 5 and if I get it an, an expensive enough watch that I can swap it secretly for a PlayStation 5. Right? That's not how it works. That's not love. That's manipulation. So when we come into the place and I say, Oh, Jess, I love you. PlayStation 5. Here's the watch that I got you. PlayStation 5. PlayStation 5. PlayStation 5. That's not love. What's my job? To love her with all of my heart. What's her job? To love me with all of her heart. And when we both do our jobs correctly, guess what happens? There's unity in our marriage. When I, start, when I stop doing my job, there becomes strife in the marriage. When she stops doing her job, there becomes strife in the marriage. Why? Because my job is to love her unconditionally, not to dictate how her love looks to me. So when we look at it with God, when we come to the greater pitch and we say, well, Lord, I would like you to love me in this way. That's not your job. That's not your job. What's my job? To come and bring holy sacrifices to him in absolute love and adoration. Let him deal the best. Why? Because he's a better giver than you, firstly. He'll get better than a PlayStation 5. Although, Lord... Oh, Chrissy's coming up. Yes. It's the tenth time you've used that yeah, still no PlayStation 5 though, guys. Tenth time, but still no PlayStation 5. Noted. <laughs> Do you understand that when we learn to be the church in this manner, my job, Lord, is not to tell you how to love me. You know how to do that. My job is to come and offer sacrifice to you. But Ben, do we have to sacrifice? Now, absolutely, the verse says it. But don't go and get a cat and bring it, the blood of the cat in here. That's not what we're to do. Because Christ became the sacrifice for us. Just quick clear up so no one can go away and say, I said we should sacrifice. We'll see one of Dan's sheep laying around somewhere. <laughs> Christ became the sacrifice. So our sacrifice is Christ, right? He became that sacrifice. So when it says to bring a sacrifice, it's like my favorite, and it's my favorite time of year too, the little drummer boy. I love the little drummer boy. I'll watch that in this month like a hundred times. Because the little drummer boy, it's got nothing. But he's drum, and I feel like that little drummer boy sometimes. Because I can bang the drum, but I can't do much else. So I bring my drum. Lord, here it is. It's not real good, but it's all I've got. So when we come and lay sacrifices of worship and praise to glorify Him, Lord, I don't mind. I don't care where I'm at. I don't care what you give me. What I care is that I want to worship you and glorify you. Why? Because you're the great king. You're the, you're the one in whom you said you were, the great I am. Yeah. That's why. But my world's a mess. My life's in ruins. I know, but I've got this. What is it? It's worship. Why we stood here and worshipped for an hour, some of you I know were thinking, she's, she's long. Why? Because he deserves it. Why? Because when we all go to watch Avatar in three weeks and we sit there for three, four hours, we'll enjoy ourselves from start to finish. When we come in to a place, sorry, the oldies, that might have gone over some of the oldies. Uh, Titanic, if we watch Titanic in a couple of weeks. Oh, I'm running out of time. Oh, yeah, this, they're going to turn against me here. The promise, Christ is the cornerstone. The declaration, we had chosen, called priests. Who brings sacrifices? 
when we live in a place where we understand God, you're everything. We sung it tonight. I love that song. I will stand with arms right open. Oh, I'm not good with lyrics. Sean, what's the next one? So, bend it to you. There's a line in there. Next one. I'll give you everything, right? There's a line in there. We sing that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're all lost. We will sing that song. I'll stand with arms high. I'll give you all that I am. And then we'll walk out of here and tomorrow morning will be a, a right challenge before us. Because God asks us to give us himself. That alarm will go off that says prayer. Or that, that, that person will call that God's asked you to minister to. Whatever it is, we've all heard hundreds of times. And that's where the song becomes real. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's where we have to be priests unto him. Cleansed, going in to meet with the Father. Hearing what he's asked us to do. Then go into all the world and do. Listen, I'm going to finish with this. Listen to what David prays. Because it's absolutely phenomenal that David, in all of his stuff-ups, in all of his hang-ups, in all of his got lost, in all of his sins and, and, and terrible things that we can read and see, there's, there's a lot of great, there's a, there's a lot of, he prays this, and I think it is absolutely paramount of how David managed to stay with a heart for the Lord. In Psalm 27.4, he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing that I ask of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David, who had everything, had a terrible time, had an amazing time, had all he could ever want. He says, Lord, I've, I've realized there's one thing I want. There's one thing. I want to seek after you. I want to be in your temple courts. See, we, we read David and we think, man, he was such a, such a worshipper. He spent so much time before the Lord. He wasn't trying to get a big ministry or sell lots of records. He had his eyes on the Father. I know where I can see him and it's right there. He didn't need anybody around him. He didn't need a, a church full of people. He didn't need the right building. He didn't need the right stuff. He just knew this. God showed me how to do it. I'll never, ever stop doing it. God, if there's one thing, please don't ever take from me. It's that I could seek you. Absolutely, wholeheartedly. To dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I want to finish with this, guys. We don't come and gather together to get God's presence. We come and gather together because of God's presence. We don't come here to get something from Ario or from Justin, or from myself, or from whoever's here with you. We don't, we don't come because this is where I know I'll, I'll hear God. I know Aria will give me a word, or I know that I'll get this, or I'll get that. We come because of His presence that's in us, and I want to come and worship our King with Aria because we're like-minded people. Because out there, I've been abandoned by the world. Out there, I've become disdain to the people around me. But in here with my brothers and sisters, we understand the great King and His glory. And for once a week, twice a week, however many times you'll sacrifice and come to people's homes with your brothers and sisters or here in this building, I come because the presence of the Lord is so dwelt up in me. It's got to come out and I want to do it with my brother. See, when we gather in a place just because, Lord, that's where I go to church because that's where I find God. 
Or I go to church because there's, there's something there that I get. We're missing out on all the other times that God is moving in us and through us, tapping on our hearts, pulling, saying, draw to me, draw to me. I gave it to you there on Sunday, but do it again tomorrow and I'll give it to you again. Do it with your spouse. Do it with your children. Worship me, honor me, glorify me, come before me, and I will reveal myself again and again and again. And the more you eat, the hungrier you'll get. Guys, we have to remember as the church of the Gold Coast, this time we are in is absolutely paramount. I think I've said that word like nine times, but that, that's why. Because it's important. So we are in a moment right now, and it's not going to be through ARIO. It's not going to be through me. We will be catalysts in the move on the Gold Coast. I promise you that. But it won't be done through me. And it won't be done through him. And it won't be done through presence or Hillsong or Glow or Chapel or whoever else you want to put in that thing. It will be done through the humble hearts of the people in the church of the Gold Coast, in the church of Australia. Those who are willing to lay down themselves and to become catalysts, not partakers. To say, God, you have put something special in me. And I want to release that out. Is that okay? Does that make sense? Why don't you stand? Let me pray. And then I'm just going to hand the mic to Ario and you can do what you do. (laughs) Whatever you want to do. Father, I just pray, Lord, right now, God, that anything that I've said tonight that's not of you, may it fall away. God, but everything that you have asked me to say that's of you, may it sink into our hearts deeply. Lord, may the things that you wanted to reveal to us tonight, God, may they be seeds that grow great trees. Lord, may they be the start of something huge you've put in us. God, I pray tonight that there would be no more nobodies in this room. God, I would pray. I pray that there would be no more nobodies in this room. That everyone who is here tonight, God, and everyone that you've called in your kingdom who's not, Lord, everyone who is walking with you is a chosen royal priesthood. God, I pray that we would understand that. God, I pray that you would, you would reveal to us the reality of being chosen and precious. That God, right now, in the authority that you've given us to stand as the church, as leaders in your church in this city, God, we break that spirit of suicide right now in this nation. God, we break it right now in your name, Jesus. God, you have called us to be living stones, not dead stones. What the enemy is trying to steal, Father, I pray that there would be a a flip, Lord, that the the young people who are in that place would understand being chosen and precious, that they would understand being a royal priesthood and that they would be the mightiest catalyst in your church in this city. God, I pray that there would be young people who take pulpits. God, that there would be young people who stand in churches as oracles of you who would call your word forward. God, I pray that there would be young people who carry a humble heart to correct your church in this, in this time. God, I pray that there would be young people who would stand and declare your goodness. God, I pray for, for evangelists, pastors, teachers, God, to come from what the enemy is trying to take. Jesus, 
Jesus, Jesus, we just bind that right now, Lord. God, you said that when we stand in this ecclesia that we are in, with authority in two or more in your name, that you are in our midst and that when we ask in your name, it would be done. God, I pray right now, starting with every young person in this house and and connected to the spheres of those in these houses, that that would be broken right now. God, that the things that they would that they had had brought to to hurt themselves would be would be revealed, handed over, and that 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 lying spirit would leave from their brain right now, Jesus. Lord, that that would be silenced right now. That your voice would be loud. That there would be a, a calling to those who don't know you to know you, for those who know you to know you in a greater way. God, we just speak right now called and precious over all of the young people in this city. Jesus. God, I pray that you would unlock the gifts in these houses right now. God, I, would, I pray that you would silence the voice saying, I'm not good enough, I'm not this enough, I'm not that enough. God, I pray that you would just begin to unlock the authority that you have given all of us in this house. Show us the things we can't see for ourselves, God. Call us deeper into the places that we don't think we can go, God. Father, I thank you for this house. Lord, I thank you for Ario and for Sills, God, and for their, the stewardship of this house. Lord God, their, their desire to hear your voice, to not move until they do. God, I thank you for the heart they carry to, to not be what everyone else is, but to just be who you've asked them to be. God, I pray that you bless them. Father, bless, uh, bless their boys, Father. Pour out on their family, Lord. God, we love you. We honor you. You are the great king in whom we serve. Amen. Yeah. You are the great I am, the holy one. Yes. Hallowed be your name, God. We honor you. We glorify you. We serve you as our king. God, we declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city. And we declare your kingship in this nation. You are the great king, God. Yeah. We thank you, we love you, and we honor you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.